I'm Bill Moyers. It's good to have your ear. Influential conservative Arthur C. Brooks issues a challenge to the Republican Party. The crisis in the American economy today, Bill, is that we have economic growth that's concentrated in the top 10%. People who are are impoverished and people who lack power are going to lose out. This is something that we need to remember. We need a moral reformation in this country. Republicans could come screaming out of the gate going forward and say, we're the ones who will fight for the poor. We're the ones who will fight for workers. You might not agree with what we're gonna, how we're going to do it, but let me tell you, you will not doubt what's on our hearts. That means we need a, more, a, a new kind of moral climate for the future leaders. Thanks for joining us. My guest, Arthur C. Brooks, says the compassionate conservatism once touted by George W. Bush is making a comeback. Now, if you've been listening to the heated rhetoric on the right toward poor people, government, immigrants, and liberals, that may come as a surprise. But Mr. Brooks is being taken seriously by influential conservatives in government, business, and the media. In Commentary Magazine, he called on conservative leaders to articulate a positive social justice agenda. And just last week in the New York Times, under the headline, Love People, Not Pleasure, Arthur Brooks wrote that while money relieves suffering in cases of true material need, when money becomes an end in itself, it can bring misery too. That message has some people scratching their heads, coming as it does from the president of the American Enterprise Institute, that venerable conservative Washington think tank funded by some 1,200 donors, including the likes of ExxonMobil, the American Petroleum Institute, the Walton Family Foundation, that's Walmart, the pharmaceutical industry, and the chairman of the Carlyle Group. That's the global private equity firm with the touch of King Midas. It is not love that gives these powers their clout in Washington. It is money. So what's this former professor of the French horn, yes, the French horn, up to? And how did he reach the top of the conservative pecking order in Washington? For one thing, by teaching business, government, and economics for years at Syracuse University. For another, by writing 10 books. This is the most recent, The Road to Freedom, How to Win the Fight for Free Enterprise. And for yet another, by his own pilgrimage to understand how it is that human beings are more than the sum of their material appetites. Last year, He went to India to meet with one of the great spiritual shepherds of our time, prompting the very materialistic Vanity Fair magazine to ask, why was the Dalai Lama hanging out with the right-wing American Enterprise Institute? A good question, given that this year, the Dalai Lama paid his own visit to Arthur Brooks at the American Enterprise Institute in Washington. Arthur Brooks, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Why the Dalai Lama? What were you seeking? The Dalai Lama is a, a representative of, of human consciousness. He's somebody who transcends a lot of the materialistic pressures. He's somebody who thinks about the truth, notwithstanding the political realities that are going on around the world. And we wanted to talk to him about many of the controversies that we're seeing today, about how consciousness, free enterprise politics, how it all interacts. How, how do you reconcile his socialism with your capitalism? Well... I asked the Dalai Lama that and when we were in Dharamsala, and it was a wonderful visit. I went to see him in his monastery where he's been, uh, he's been living in exile since being expelled from Tibet uh, by the Chinese communists in 1959. And I went and visited with him. I meditated with his monks for the morning. In the afternoon, we, we were talking, and, 
And, and he said, basically, you love free enterprise. I said, that's right, Your Holiness. And he said, I am a Marxist. And I thought, uh-oh. But, he continued, he said, but I do not believe in forced sharing by government. I believe in voluntary sharing as the basis of human morality. And there's nothing that describes my point of view about this world better than that. But here's the enigmatic part of Arthur Brooks, you know. Love does not make Washington go round. Right. It does not bring home the bacon, the tax subsidies, the, uh, the loopholes, the special privileges. Yeah. It doesn't grease the revolving door that is the source of so much of the wealth there. To get those things, people have need money yes. and use money. So many of the people listening to us right now are going to be, as I said, scratching their heads and say, how can Arthur Brooks... Uh, be comfortable in an environment where money is the prime, if not sole, instrument of consolidating the power of the rich and privileged, the corporations in Washington today. Does that create any tension in him? Money always creates tension in me, and it creates tension in our political system, and it creates tension in all people of goodwill. The fact of the matter is, it should create tension with it. We should have an uneasy relationship with material prosperity, an uneasy relationship with power, but we can also use it at the government level to alleviate poverty for our poorest citizens. This is one of the reasons that I recommend that conservatives declare peace on the safety net for the truly poor, but not for others. So help me understand this. Tax laws yeah. favor capital <clears throat> over labor, giving capital gains a lower rate than many people who earn ordinary income. Bankruptcy laws allow companies to reorganize, but not college students burdened by Huge debt. The minimum wage is losing ground, losing value, while CEO pay is, as you know, going through the roof again and again. Is this compassionate conservatism at work? There is a lot of lacking compassion in the American economy in every institution, or for that matter, in any economy around the world. But you have to take each one of these things. Uh, these are not comparable situations. So I'll give you an example. Minimum wage. Now, the problem with the minimum wage is not that we're worried about the expenses it's going to create for businesses. The problem with the minimum wage is that it hurts the people it's supposed to help. It's a perfect way to give a raise to my teenage children. It's the worst way to try to wipe out the unemployment scourge that we have in this country. We don't have a low-wage problem. We have an unemployment problem in the bottom 50%. America has left the bottom behind. And we have a conspiracy we have a left wing politically that talks about solutions but has no implementable answers that actually help poor people. And we have a right wing that technically, that traditionally doesn't even talk about poverty. When you have that kind of a conspiracy, it's the poor who lose out. And if the only thing that we can come up with is a command and control law that tells businesses they have to pay more, as opposed to all the great ideas, an expansion of the earned income tax credit, wage subsidies that make work pay, that don't destroy jobs, then shame with, on us. I'm with you on the earned income tax credit. For sure. One of the best means of, of getting money to people who need it. But is there any better way of creating jobs and putting money into the hands of people who spend it immediately? Middle class, working poor, poor people? And, and so a raise in the minimum wage has been shown in some studies to actually make people better off and stimulate the Very economy. little, very little. The best way, if you want to create jobs, you need policies of economic growth. And furthermore, you need economic growth that reaches all the way to the bottom of the income distribution. The crisis in the American economy today, Bill, is that we have economic growth that's concentrated in the top 10%. 
the stock market has increased by 125% since Barack Obama took over as president. 81% of those gains has gone into the pocket of the top 10% of the income distribution. In the meantime, food stamp recipiency is up by 50%, from 32 million Americans to 48 million Americans. You remember John Edwards was, I mean, John Edwards had one idea, which was that we were becoming two Americas. He was right. He was just early. He just didn't see the, the plutocratic tour de force. That's the crisis. He was also late. Michael Harrington and many others yeah, said, look what's happening. It's true. It's true. He's, now we see it. And now we see what we need to do. Economic growth that reaches all the way to the bottom. The minimum wage doesn't do it. Free money doesn't do it. Only the free enterprise system that has a bias for the poor is going to get that done. I would suggest that one of the problems is that... It, it is that over 70% of the wealth in this country is owned by the top. And they are doing everything they can both to preserve, perpetuate, and increase that wealth without following Arthur Brooks' advice and sharing it downstream. And I wish it were true that that were the real problem. I wish it were because if it were, we could decide together that we could go to Washington and we could try to increase taxes and have more redistribution and solve the problem. But, but, but Bill, it's not. Look, tax revenues this year are the highest in inflation-adjusted terms in American history. But do you believe, do you believe that we could do something big like the interstate highway system today in America? You know we couldn't. We couldn't do it with any amount of time. We can't do it because we have this rabbit warren of, of expanding government that makes it impossible with any amount of money to actually help citizens. That's the problem. It's not that rich people are getting richer. It's that we can't do things uh, with the money. With due respect, many businesses today are thriving on desperate workers. It's not just that government is corrupted or is too big, or whatever. For example, workers at Target, McDonald's, Walmart, need food stamps to survive. Let's just take Walmart. Made over $17 billion in profits last year, about $12,000 per employee. Yet Walmart pays their employees so little that the average Walmart worker depends on about $4,000 per year in taxpayer assistance. Food stamps and other programs. You and I and every taxpayer in the country, including the Walmart Walmart workers, are subsidizing the company for paying its workers so little to the tune of about $6.2 billion. That's not morally right, is it? And it's not government's fault. You know, the the idea that these are dead-end jobs is not correct. The truth of the matter is that I started out in a dead-end job. I bet you started out in a dead-end job. And what we have an obligation to do as a society is to not to force an organization like Walmart to change their wage structure, because you know what they'll do. I mean, in America today, we have a 36% African-American teenage unemployment rate. We could make it 44% by forcing through these market signals, or, or we could band together and say, what are we going to do? And that's why you and I agree on the earned income tax credit expansion and other wage subsidies to make work pay. But I'm speaking here about issues of justice. The four Walton heirs together made nearly $30 billion from their personal investments last year. Not envious, just, that's just a fact. That doesn't strike me as compassionate conservatism. And instead of providing... What conservatism? Well, they're conservatives. But instead of providing a living wage for its workers, the company spent $7.6 billion on stock buyouts in order to further boost the value of the owner's stock holdings. I mean, 
Walmart even profits from food stamps. They they process them. They have a court. They have 18 percent of the SNAP market, yeah. which means they're making money from the food stamps that their workers need and get from you and me you know, in we, order to survive. We're glad they can take food stamps, aren't we? What? Aren't we glad that people can Absolutely. cash in their food stamps? But I wish I mean, Walmart would you're, take you're some pointing of their... out the irony. You're not protesting right. the policy, right? No, I understand. Now. I think we should agree not to be envious of the Waltons. I, no I think that I think Sam Walton did, created a great oh, company, absolutely. and I love it when absolutely. people can go. He came from nothing. He yeah. was the American success story, yeah. and I don't begrudge yeah. his his right to actually pass on on money to his. Nor do I. As a matter of fact, you know, you could look at the you could look at the the, the tremendous wealth of the whole one percent. And you distribute that among the population, it would be $7,000 per American. Just do it it among your workers. Yeah. I mean, just distribute more of the profits among the workers who have to depend on you and me for the food stamps they get to survive while working at Walmart. But do do we know the philanthropy of the Walton family? I mean, well, do you, we? I mean, that, that's a wonderful thing, and that's 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 as what a, we're trying to do. Are you suggesting? I don't think you're suggesting that we should admire their philanthropy when they're not paying their workers a living wage. No, I'm suggesting that the markets in the United States, given the fact that we have not prepared workers for for modern for the modern economy, that we have an insufficient education infrastructure that's leaving the poor behind. At least there are jobs, and I want public policies that make those jobs pay more. The idea somehow that 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 Walmart can suddenly take the whole take the profit margin in a publicly traded corporation and spread the money around in this way, or or even worse, if we decide to go to Washington and do it by fiat, can you imagine? Can you imagine no, no, the current no, no. capitalism? It's just pay that? your workers. I mean, it would seem to me that compassionate conservatism would take some of those exorbitant profits that come in no small part because they're subsidized by you and me, the taxpayer, because the, Wal- the Waltons won't pay them sufficiently and spend that on paying their workers a better Wait. So this is not a public policy argument. No, no, it's at not. all. It's, it's capitalism. It's, it's, it's okay. business. You represent a, right. a lot of business representatives in there. I mean, if you took the leadership on this, there's no telling what kind of revolution you could spark. <laughs> well, we're talking about it, and not just paying people more. What we actually can do all together to be fighting for. Let, well, pay them and let them live as they want to live. Don't try to put. So it you're in. a big fan of Hobby Lobby. For example, because they pay the I, minimum that they pay per worker is fifteen dollars per hour. I admire their yeah. their their employment policies. Right. I disagree with the fact that the owner's religious belief should trump the rights of women to what they need in contraception or wanting contraception. But that's a different. I'm talking about capitalism, rather. I'm not talking about government. And the fact of the matter is, capitalism has captured government, so we can't do the things that you're talking. Well, capitalism about. is captured. It's the uh, it's the antithesis of capitalism that's captured government. Also. See, this is the problem. When markets work, you actually don't have a free pass for the well-connected to get their favors through the government. Government circumvents competition. Basically, you're one of two kinds of people. Either you believe in winning competition or you believe in shutting it down. In Washington, in the confluence of, of corporate interests and, and, and power in the state, we become a a country that's dedicated in the seat of power of shutting down competition. And that's the actual problem. So Monopolies are a huge problem. I mean, it's going to bring in more capitalism. Listen, Walmart's not alone. There was a study last year, the National Employment Law Project and the University of California, Berkeley, reporting that fast food companies cost taxpayers another $7 billion a year in public assistance for underpaid workers, with McDonald's accounting for $1.2 billion of that and over 50% of fast food workers rely on one or more public programs. 
How about that? Well, the one thing that we could do to deal with that is increase the minimum wage, which would, of course, throw people out of work who are the most marginalized members of the workforce, and they would be entirely on the public dole at that point. That's a, that would be, a, I guess you'd probably join me. them out the because the owners would not want to pay them the higher minimum wage. But again, if we ask owners, either through the government by fiat or through moral suasion, to increase the amount that they're paying to workers artificially, not according to, 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 to market forces, artificially, what will happen? They will lower the size of their workforces as, as sure as we're sitting here. Again, the problem in America, I understand that some people don't make enough. I completely understand that, which is why I want policies. That's why I want policies that make work pay. But the bigger problem is the employment crisis. We have a, an employment, uh, a workforce participation rate that's the same as it was in the bad old days of the Carter administration. We've gone backwards, Bill, and that's completely concentrated among the poor. But name one public policy that you would think, that you think would help make work pay for okay. the worker. Right now, we've talked about it tangentially a little bit, which is the earned income tax credit. It's an expensive policy. It's hard to administer. It costs taxpayer money. It's a great policy. It is, absolutely. It's a great policy. Now, the problem is it excludes single men, especially those who have non-custodial uh, parenting relationships with their children. It excludes them. These are the people who are most marginalized in the workforce today. These are the people who are most vulnerable. We need to expand it to include those people. We need to expand it such that people who are working, working honestly, as they say, as politicians like to say, they're working hard and playing by the rules, which they are, they actually can make a living. We can solve this problem, Bill. We don't have to have by fiat telling Walmart to pay three and four and five dollars an hour more and throw more people into welfare. No, 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 no. And more people into homelessness when they lose their jobs. We can solve this with the expansion of the EITC or any of the other wage subsidy ideas. Would you concede or would you agree that democracy in our system is meant to be a break, B-R-A-K-E, on rampant greed and, and power? Now, our system morally is supposed to use capitalism in a way that's healthy, that where people don't cheat each other, where people treat each other with principles of brotherhood. See, this is important for conservatives to remember as well as liberals, but especially conservatives. The, the, the architect of our modern understanding of capitalism is Adam Smith. Adam Smith understood that it doesn't matter what your political system is. It doesn't matter what your economic system is if people cheat each other. You could be a socialist. You could be a capitalist. You could live in a fiefdom of some kind. It doesn't matter. People who are, who are impoverished and people who lack power are going to lose out. This is something that we need to remember. We need a moral reformation in this country. That's one side of the equation. But people also need referees. They need government to prevent those who don't play by the moral Absolutely. rule Absolutely. You need to police. live up to their obligation. You know, you know, muggers are bad, and, you and need, inside traders are bad. You need an SEC. You exactly need an FTC. Right. Again, Adam Smith said that markets fail. Markets fail because of monopoly, because of externalities like pollution. They fail because of public goods, like the need for an army and a police force. They also fail because of what economists call asymmetric information, which is another one of, way of saying that I know more than you do, and I can exploit you. And I can exploit you because I coerce you with the tip of a gun, or I exploit you because I, I use insider information and I use it to my own gain. Those are market failures. and That's why we need the government as well as a, a well-functioning, reliable safety net for the poor. Absolutely. But how do we get good public policy when Congress is under the thumb of the big donors who contribute to their election or their re-election? Well, for one thing, I don't want to make it so stark. 
it's not true that every member of Congress is under the thumb of, of businessmen or capitalists or public sector unions or good guys on the right or the left or any place in between. I know a lot of people in Congress who are very serious about their independence, number one. Number two, it's in the hands of citizens to demand a representative government. Look, we can get this. The problem that we have is that we have a little bit of a conspiracy between I mean, right and left now to have people who are, who are really tending to be more part of the machine. What happens when, when citizens rebel and they say, we're only going to hire politicians who refuse to stay more than three terms in Congress, for example? What happens when we have people who truly are moral populists? That would be an interesting thing. Now, that's the big opportunity for the Republican Party today. That's the big opportunity. Why? Because you had somebody who said he was going to fight for the people and things didn't, in my estimation, work out so great over the past few years. Republicans could come screaming out of the gate going forward and say, we're the ones who will fight for the poor. We're the ones who will fight for workers. You might not agree with what we're going to, how we're going to do it, but let me tell you, you will not doubt what's on our hearts. That means we need a, more, a, a new kind of moral climate for the future leaders. We'll continue this conversation online. Arthur Brooks, thank you very much for being with me. Thank you, Bill. It's been an honor. At our website, BillMorris.com, we want to hear your thoughts about my conversation with Arthur Brooks. So please share them with us. That's at BillMoyers.com. I'll see you there, and I'll see you here next time. Moyers & Company is produced by Public Affairs Television. You can learn more about the team that collaborates to produce the series at BillMoyers.com. Funding is provided by Ann Gumowitz, encouraging the renewal of democracy. Carnegie Corporation of New York, supporting innovations in education, democratic engagement, and the advancement of international peace and security at Carnegie.org. The Ford Foundation, working with visionaries on the front lines of social change worldwide. The Herb Alpert Foundation, supporting organizations whose mission is to promote compassion and creativity in our society. The John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, committed to building a more just, verdant, and peaceful world. More information at macfound.org. Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues. The Kohlberg Foundation, Barbara G. Fleischman. And by our sole corporate sponsor, Mutual of America, designing customized individual and group retirement products. That's why we're your retirement company.